I don't have coffee. We went on a a diet. Not a diet, according to Amber. The lifestyle change. I don't like lifestyle changes when it comes to what I eat and drink. I guess it's something we got to do. So this is water, if you're wondering. I had a McDonald's cup, and I didn't want to advertise for McDonald's. We broke our commitment with him when I quit drinking McDonald's Coke. That was a joke, by the way. Completely okay, though. So I'm going to put that there. Okay, I'm going to ask you a question. If you're going to go treasure hunting, you know I do weird stuff up here, okay? If you're going to go treasure hunting, you're not with a group of people that you know because you might be in a row of people that you don't know. But I want you to look down your row, and we're straight up going to judge people for just a minute. Everything that we say in church is not okay is what we're going to do right now. We're going to give you a minute. Just cut loose, okay? Get it all out. If you're in a team of treasure hunters, I want you to look down your row, and I want you to assign everybody in your team a job. We've got a couple rows. <laughs> we're going to have some people doing it all. All right, do that real quick. Think about it. Look down your row. and you got, So we've got to have somebody has got to read a map. Somebody's got to have the compass. And if you're like Jack Sparrow in the movie, the compass doesn't point north, right? Because somebody's got a, who's got a metal detector? Anybody got a metal detector? Okay, we got a couple metal detectors. Tucky's got one too. We use it sometimes in the yard and different places. So we got a metal detector. We got a map. We got a compass. We got to have a leader. Somebody's got to be in charge of this circus, right? So who's in charge of your group? And then think about it. What job would you get if you were a treasure hunter? Be the digger. Oh, yeah, we got to have somebody with a shovel. Somebody's got to do the work. Treasure hunter. We're gonna, so what we want to look at is, is, is one of the reasons I mentioned that is everybody's got like a, a talent. You're the digger. That's great. We need to use that. Our talents can be used for God, but our kids' talents can be used for God too. And we want to be able to use those talents that our kids have to further God's kingdom. And everybody doesn't do the same thing well. Not everybody can play music. Not everybody can mix music. Not everybody can mix a video. Not everybody can teach children's church. Not everybody can volunteer on Wednesday nights. Not everybody can greet at the door. Not everybody can do the bulletin. There's all different several things that we do that everybody can't do, but some of us can. And so we want to learn how to use our talents, but also the talents of our kids. First thing I want to tell you is that this is a lesson about parenting, which I am not an expert at. And so... I've got the task of telling you how to do something that I don't do very well. So this is it. We're all in this thing together. Um, parents come in all shapes and sizes. You can be like birth parents. You can be step parents. You can be work parents. I've had work parents. Anybody had parents at work? You know, okay, a couple of us, right? That people just take you under their wing and they're your parent at work. Okay, we have parents in our faith and our church. Okay. And so know that if you don't have a birth child, that you still are a parent and can offer that parenting to somebody. And that's huge because somebody needs you in their life, and you're in their life for a reason. So let's apply these principles. So um, legacy. Let's look at a legacy. We've got 168 hours in a week. Did anybody know that besides me? I didn't know it before last week. I didn't know how many hours we had in a week, but we've got 168. Let's think about what we do with our 168 hours every week. We're going to leave a legacy. This is not going to be a message about leaving 
a legacy necessarily, but it is about living a legacy. Living a legacy. How do we live? We're going to leave a legacy. It's inevitable. At some point in our lives, we're not going to be here. And people are going to have memories of us. That's the legacy that we leave behind. But to get to leave a legacy, we have to live it first. And that's what we want to talk about today. So when we talk about legacy, where were you when your family's legacy, where was it when you started? Where is it now? And will it be in a better position than it was where you found it? We coached baseball teams, um, 9 and 10-year-olds. One of the things we try to do after every game is clean up the dugout, get all of our garbage out. Because we want to leave the dugout cleaner than it was when we got to it. We want to leave it better than we found it. And we want to do those things in our lives, too. Now, you say, well, I bring my kids to church, and we do student ministry, and do kids ministry. All those things are awesome, and we need to do that. But you know how much time that we get in student ministry and kids ministry a week? An hour and a half to two hours. That leaves us 166 hours at home, at school, to make sure that we're leaving the legacy and living the legacy that we need to live. Now, remember, this is Successful Parenting 101. I'm your expert. My nine-year-old is the only, like, proof that I've got, so we're not perfect. So I'm telling you, this is not kind of, You ever listen to somebody that's an expert talk about something? Don't you enjoy it? These, are, these crowds are tough today. You guys nervous or something? You like to listen to an expert talk? Depends on the topic, probably, right? Well, this is not an expert, so if you're looking forward to that, it's not going to happen that way today. We're going to talk about what it means to live a legacy from a non-expert viewpoint. Okay, first things first, how do you do great parenting? Look at this picture. You can see, it's, it's a little grainy, but you can see this burger and the the kid's face got ketchup all over. What about this one? <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> Hold on long enough to get away from the kid. I love this one. It's six degrees. The kid's mad because he can't swim. Does anybody like these pictures besides me? Like, I look at this stuff and laugh. I don't know. My sense of humor is not the best, but, like, I like this one. If you don't remember what it was like to have a toddler, here you go. The wrong pink marker. Can't eat the cat's food. <laughs> this one's funny. <laughs> Poor kid. <laughs> He's ugly crying over the daffodils. <laughs> We've been hearing this one before. I want to ride the bus. We can't. It's not real. Like it's on TV. He can't get in there. How do you explain to a toddler they can't get into the TV where other people are, you know? Like Blippi's in there. Why can't I be in there? This one's kind of like middle school, but you just let them eat it. If you're a middle school teacher, you know what I'm talking about. Just whatever. You can have it. <laughs> I think they're eating a Pop-Tart, too. Makes it more fun. <laughs> have you done this one? Anybody done this one? My parents did this my whole life. <laughs> Don't say anything, Mom. even hard to explain like how do you turn the sun off all right so what are we going to do to be good parents 
successful parent. I don't know if it's going to be, you don't know if it's going to be successful or not. I mean, like, I'm 36 years old, and the jury's still out. You know, some of you are older than me, Larry Joe, and the jury's still out. I mean, like, at any point, so how do we do this? This is such a difficult, like, topic to really be all in and dig in and really know like today you're probably not going to leave and be like I got this you're probably like whoa okay I got to figure some stuff out first thing we need to do is be all in in Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 through 6 um, and this is did you know the book of Deuteronomy is the one Jesus quoted the most or referred to the most that's pretty cool that tells us something it says hero Israel the Lord our God is one Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your heart. So number one, to be a good parent, read your Bible. Read it. It's easier said than done, but dig into it and read it. Your, your kids will see you read your Bible, and they'll realize that it's a point of emphasis. Read your Bible. Um, support through good and difficult times. Be all in. Your kids are going to have great times. There's going to be days where they get in the car, and it's been the best day ever, and you're so like so excited. And there's going to be days when you get in the car, it's going to be the worst one. We got in the car Tuesday night after a baseball game, and Hucky didn't say a word the whole way home because he had a bad game. And I wanted to be like, dude, yeah, you had a bad game, but it's okay. And we have to support our kids through the good and through the bad. We have to be all in with our kids no matter what it takes to be all in. We need to be able to say we're sorry to our kids. That's hard to do. It's hard to say sorry to a six-year-old. I mean, like, it's a really difficult, some of us have pride. Some of you may not. Some of us have pride. It's hard to say we're sorry. We need to extend grace to our kids when they mess up, when they break the lamp in the living room that you waited so long to get, and you look in the floor, and there's a million pieces. Like, sometimes it's difficult to, like extend the grace. We need to do that. We need to be all in with our kids. We need to love our spouse. We need to love our parents. We need to love our neighbors. Those are things that we would think would be pretty easy. And sometimes they're very difficult. And there's some situations where your spouse is no longer in your home. Your parents are no longer around. That's hard to model. But we need to love people as difficult as it is. What about this one? What about the attic down the street? that's up all night long, all hours of the night, there's cars coming back and forth, there's doors slamming, the police are there, ambulances are there, everybody's there all the time, and you can't rest because you're worried about your kids, but we still have to love those people and show them that there's a chance that there's a better life for them, and they need to see that through us. What about the bully at school? This one's hard, especially when you see it every day because you know that there are kids that are bullying and you can't identify it, and you can't put your thumb on it, and you can't prove it, but you know it's happening. And you see kids that are living a life that they're picked on every day. And you just watch them. And you watch their self-confidence drop. And it's so hard to be there. We need to love those kids. We need to love the, the guy at work that's not very likable. Or the lady at work that's not very likable. You know the one that comes to your class, I mean, um, to, your, to your office and tells you how you're supposed to do your job? The one that says, you know what, you should do that better. And you're like, well, don't you have an office? Like, this is what you want to say. we got to love those people, okay? Now, what does that have to do with your parents? It has to do with your heart. As a parent, then that goes home with you to your kids, right? So we have to live it even when our kids aren't around. What about the extended warranty salesman for your car? you got to love those people too, right? <laughs> the ones that call you during dinner 
My best friend's dad used to always answer the phone. And he'd say, uh, yeah, what time do you eat dinner? And they'd be like, well, about 6 o'clock. He said, well, can I have your phone number? Well, sir, why would you like my phone number? Because I'm going to call you when you sit down and eat dinner, and we're going to talk about something. They were like, oh. He was really funny. You guess you kind of had to be there, I guess. You know, uh, We want to make parenting more important than our work, than our career, than our job, or whatever priority takes the place of our parenting. And there's so many things thrown at us. I didn't bring my phone up here. It's back there. But that thing takes priority over everything these days, your cell phone. How many hours do you spend on your phone a week? I've got 168 hours. I got my screen time this morning. I've been working on it. It was three hours and 53 minutes a day. What do I do for four hours a day on my phone that's productive? Like I send messages that are important, but is that four hours? No. So how much of that time am I sitting in the presence of my son while we're doing homework and I'm scrolling? And what good is that doing? So we have to prioritize things. Where are our priorities? Do our kids get our priorities? Say, well, my kids aren't in the house anymore. Okay. I don't know what that feels like, but I can imagine that it's difficult to not have your kids in your home that you've raised. What about prayer? Could we do that for our kids? Could we extend love and grace in ways that, you know, that, that aren't ways that you would do if you were present in person? We tend to give our best effort. Some of you all are probably like me. You give your best effort at work, and when you get into the door, you're like, oh, and you just want to collapse. Let's take a break. But I've got a nine-year-old at home that when I collapse and take a break, he's sitting there like, I've had a rough day at school. I had to sit all day and listen to people talk and do work I didn't want to do and write in cursive. You know? Like, I had to do, I had to do math. He and I are like on the same boat with math. So if you're ever his teacher in the future, math is not going to be the strong point, and it's not going to get it at home. Because daddy doesn't know math. Mommy's better at it than I am. She figures out all the common core stuff. I don't know how you do that. But why would I go home and collapse when my kid needs me when I'm, I'm home? That's the most important time of his day. He's getting to come home to his place, his safe place. And I go off to myself and do my thing. Like we have to be careful with the amount of energy that we give. We need to parent with the same amount of energy that we live our lives to the fullest with. In Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus replies, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. So being all in with Jesus will lead to being all in with our kids because it's going to be important. Us being all in with our kids is going to lead to their relationship with Jesus being better than it would have been if we're not. So we model a relationship with Jesus. We go all in with our kids, and our kids see that, and they live it. The second thing we need to do is invest, but we need to do it consistently. Consistency is so significant. Um, I, I see it every day. I guess I'm in a classroom, and you see it more when you're in a classroom. But the minute you start to let up, the kids just run with you. And, like, middle schoolers are dangerous people. You know what I mean? Like, they are... They're like overgrown kindergartners. I couldn't do kindergarten. I do middle school because they get sarcasm. But they're dangerous if you're not consistent. And it's the same way at home. We have to invest our time to our kids consistently. In Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9, it says this. Impress them on your children. And look what it says where to do it. At your home, when you walk down the road, when you lie down, when you get up. That covers everything, right? So if you're sleeping... Laying down, resting, getting up, walking around, 
when you're sitting at home, when you're going down the road. How many chances do we get going down the road to teach Jesus to our kids? How many chances do we get while we're walking down the street to teach Jesus to our kids? Last night, we were on an inflatable. Me and the kids were on an inflatable. I was the oldest kid there. We were on a inflatable, sliding down the water slides. And I look over, and like four cell phone cameras pop up. And I was like, what in the world's going on? And they were catch, capturing the beauty of the sunset. And I was like, that's cool. We can teach our kids through the sunset. It's little things. The daffodils that the little kid that went away. The sun that the parent couldn't turn off because the kid's pumpkin wanted to light up. Like, those are teaching moments we can teach Jesus. Tie them as symbols to your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And we look at this. The Lord says his mercy extends to those who fear him. And notice the last part, from generation to generation. That means it's not just for us to keep. What I get through Jesus and what he pours into me, I'm supposed to pour to other people. Yes, my kid is one of those people. But there's kids around him that need it too. And the same thing with you. There's kids that are around your kids that need Jesus as much as yours does. The community that we just came out of in a sermon series is very significant for our kids to grow up. And if you look on Sunday mornings, the Emmy's going in the water today. This is the fourth Sunday in a row that we've had a teenager or younger get baptized. Tomorrow, next week makes five. Amen. We've got one planned. Now, if you're a teenager or a kid and you want to get baptized, the kids are upstairs, then we can make it six in a row the week after, or we'll throw you in today. We don't care. And if you're an adult and you want to break the streak... You're God's kids, so we'll say it's kids again, right? We just want to, I mean, this is amazing. But when you see this, you're going to, these kids are all around the baptistry. They're celebrating. They're excited. It's community. It's so important for them to see it from one generation to the next, and it's been passed down. So when we talk about investing consistently, one thing I want you to realize is your kids are going to get training from somewhere. It's going to come into their mind. It can be your cell phone and YouTube. We used to let Hucky watch YouTube, and then we started realizing that some of those ads on YouTube are dangerous, and they're very subtle, but they're very effective. And in the app store, those free games, the ads are coming in. We've, we're blessed with Hucky. Like, he comes and tells us, like, uh, this had something bad on it. And we're like, bad parents. You know, like, we just let him go. Somebody's going to pour something into your kids. Who are you going to allow to pour things into your kids? Now, it doesn't mean just teenagers and younger. Your kids can be grown. You don't quit parenting at 18 when they move out of the house. Is that right? <clears throat> I mean, your kids are always your kids. You're going to love them no matter what, but you're going to invest in them. I want you to know today that Satan is real and he's prowling, like he is ready to go. And Jared said this last week. That a lot of times, Satan sees the potential in our kids before we do. And that's why he's attacking before we go. We're not as proactive as he is active. That means we're not out ahead of him. He's coming and then we're trying to react. And that's a scary spot to be because then he starts to plant the seed. As parents, we're supposed to mold characteristics into the kids, into what they can be for God and what they can be for his kingdom. Now... Our kids sometimes are different. Sometimes they're strong-willed. You say, man, I can't do anything with a strong-willed kid. Like, how do you handle a strong-willed kid? Well, guess what a strong-willed kid can use his talents for? Imagine how strong-willed he can be for Jesus in the hallways at school where it's not popular to say that I love Jesus. It's not easy to say it. 
in the bathroom where there's no teachers and you go in there and you can go and do whatever you want in that bathroom. Middle school is a tough place, trust me. You go in those bathrooms and the kids are like, what? How about a strong-willed kid? Can his faith stand through that? Can her faith stand through that? If we invested into them, they can take it. What about intelligence? we got some kids that are so smart, and I tell my kids all the time in my classroom, if you think that I'm the smartest person in this room, and I am the smartest person in this room, then we are in trouble as a class and as a generation. Somebody or multiple people in this room are smarter than me, and I want you to be. Like, I want you to challenge me. I want you to know you're better, smarter than I am. Because I want our world to continue to progress. We can use that intelligence to dig deep into the Bible to find biblical principles that are applicable at a very high level. And they can get it and they can take it to people. They can change the world through the intelligence. What about resilient? Your child's resilient. They fight you back all the time. Imagine how hard they can fight the devil. It's just about redirecting it. We don't have to change them. We don't want to kill their will. We don't want to hurt that for them. We just want to move them. We just direct our kids on the right path. What about curiosity? That's a scary one, isn't it? What if, we get, what if they get curious and start digging into the Bible? And say, so, well, I wonder why Jesus said this. Who was he talking to? Why did he tell Matthew, follow me? Why did he want Matthew? Matthew was a tax collector. He was hated. People didn't like him. Why did he get him? And they can dig in and find and understand that, well, if he could use Matthew, he could use me. And he could use my friend, who a lot of people look down on because they're different. Resilience is important. What about, what's well, the curiosity? Disobedience. How do you use that one? Who attacks early? Satan. What if they disobey him? What if they tell him no? I'm better than that. I'm stronger than that. What if they don't listen to the things that people tell them about them that other people think are true? Because your kids hear that too. You hear that as adults. You feel it as adults. I lay down in bed. I don't know how many times a week I lay down in bed and think, man, today I failed as a, as a parent. Like, I didn't do it. I wasted this much time. I didn't use this amount of time. Like, I didn't focus on my kid. Some of you feel that same pain, that same weight that I feel. Some of you, it's different. Do you think that Satan doesn't tell us things like that to, to get us off track? Because he's going to work his way in. And when you're doing something you're supposed to be doing for Jesus, he's going to tell you more. He's going to attack harder and harder and harder. And that's his goal, is to derail you. Because when he derails you, he derails the people you're supposed to impact. I can't impact in everybody in this room, but somebody in this room can impact somebody else for Jesus. But if he gets you off your course, then you're not going to get somebody else on the course they need to be on. And then he's done what he's supposed to do. And he's very crafty, very, very good with what he does. So we have to be honest and uplifting, but positive with our words of encouragement. Now, let's look at this for just a second. Like, how honest and how positive do we want to be? How many of you all, you know, you've had those little kids who come home with the drawing, and it doesn't look anything like what it was supposed to be? You can laugh. It's okay, because some of y'all have done this, just like I have. Like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. You're such a good artist. And you look at your wife or your husband, you're like, world? I don't even know what that is. Great job. I'm proud of you. You keep working hard, you know? Well, if you tell them it's horrible the first time, are they ever going to draw anything again? 
No, I've got a, a poster in my classroom that says, the expert in anything was once a beginner. You've got to start somewhere. They're not going to start at the top. Now, some kids are more talented than others, don't get me wrong, but like, we want to make sure that maybe every once in a while we just feed them a little bit of encouragement that maybe they didn't deserve. I don't know if that's the right word. Because after Tuesday night's baseball game, I really laid there, and I tried to always finish with something positive, and I just was like... I don't really know if anything I can say right now without, like, being a bold-faced lie. And Hucky knows enough about it to say, like, man, you played really good. Like, I just wanted to be like, yep, we won. It was a good game, you know. That's all that matters. You know the team speech that you give your kids? Like, and you should. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I remember my dad, like, he would come to a game, and, he, I, like, I made four errors and struck out a couple times. He was like, good job today, son. I'm like, Dad, what are you talking about? Like, I almost lost the game by myself. He's like, I'm proud of you. I'm like, for what? <laughs> I mean, it was horrible. And then he'd be like, I'm just proud of you for playing hard, having a good attitude. I'm like, thanks. Dropped a bomb on me there, you know. And so I racked my brain that night, and I felt so bad because I was like, really wasn't positive. So the next morning I was like, Hucky, didn't you get hit last night? He's like, yeah. I was like, you did a good job, man, standing there and taking that one like a champ. And, and then getting to first, and he was like, thanks. <laughs> I'm sure he was like, Dad, I know where you're going with this. But we try to do stuff like that. We, that little bit of, like, coloring paper or the Legos that they build where they put, like, four blocks of Legos together and, like, look at the wall I built. And you're like, wow, that's amazing. You know, that's going to keep some people out. Like, it's really good. Uh, I don't know. Like, but we, as parents, we find that. We want to encourage our kids because we know that where they are now is not where they're going to be their whole life. But if we stop them at the beginning, they're not going to go forward because they're going to feel like failures. We're supposed to push them. The expert in anything was once a beginner. What about this one? Proverbs 22, 6. Direct your children on the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. And it says the word train in the Bible. And the word train is translated to dedicate. And dedicate literally, like, we know what it means to dedicate our time, right? Like, we're really all in focused. We need to dedicate, not just train our kids, but dedicate them. Like, truly dedicate our kids. Like, give everything of them to Jesus and do everything that we can to get them there because one of these days when you leave your job somebody else will take it I've been there I've done it I left I walked off the baseball field and said I can't do this anymore I've got to go home to my family guess what practice went on that day they literally had practice somebody took my spot they didn't miss me at all they went on with it and it's going to happen to all of us but what happens with our kids and the legacy that we leave them that we give them of Jesus because that can go on because it went on from my grandmother, who's 93, who's watching today, to my dad, to me, and to my son. And it also went to my other grandmother, who passed away a few years ago, who would have been 85 today, to, her, to my mom, to me, and to my kids. It, it's a legacy. And I hope that I am better with it today than it was when I found it from them. And I hope Hucky's better at it than I will ever be. That's what we're talking about with legacy. So if we're going to do that, what do we do? We have to live Christ all day, every single day. That's hard. Because people make you mad. Have you heard the story of the person that was in the drive-thru? And they, they paid for the food for the person behind them because the person behind them was being a jerk. And they're like, I'll just pay for their food. And they paid for their food. And, you know, like the, the car, they pull up to the window and like, hey, the person in front of you paid for their food. And they're like, oh, man, I was so mean to that person. You know what I mean? Like, they just got you real bad. But the car in front said, uh, I paid for the car behind me. They're like, oh, that was so nice. They said, here's the receipt. I want the food. 
They're like, what? Like, I paid for the food for the car behind me. Here's the receipt. Give me the food. And they were like, but you paid for the No, just give me the food. And they took both sets of food. So the person pulls up to the window like, you don't have any food. The, per- the car in front of you took it. We're like, but they said they paid for it. And they, yeah, that's why they got it. <laughs> and they had to go all the way back around to the line and do it all over. Listen, that cracks me up. <laughs> I told you my sense of humor is not great. Like, that's probably not what we're supposed to do when we're living Jesus out. Like, the first part of it was probably what was supposed to happen, and just let them have the food, and then, like, they think about it. But when they took that food, oh, my gosh, they just, it's probably not where we want to go with live Jesus every day, all day, you know? We don't want to pour salt in somebody's coffee. Have you ever done that? Okay, good. Not the only one. All right. So when we live it every day, I want you to know that your fulfillment doesn't come from anybody in the world, and it's so hard to get that out of you. Because people are always evaluating, they're always judging, they're always talking, well, you did this and you did that. And we, we listen because we're humans and we hear that we're not good enough or that we're not capable. But I want you to know, and this is so important for your kids, that the fulfillment that they get doesn't come from anybody but Jesus. That's it. And that's all that matters. It does not matter what people say about them. Because people are going to tell me you're not good enough. I hear it all the time. You're not good enough. You can't do this. I even hear them now making fun of kids because they're too smart. What in the world? Like, how do you even do that? It's so sad. And people hear it, and it hurts. And when you hear it over and over and over, it really embeds into your brain. So as parents, we've got to really go harder and give them more because they are going to, like, hear what happens. So how do we do it? We have to be constant. We have to be consistent. We have to break the chains of image. The world has an image about it. If you don't look a certain way, you don't dress a certain way, you don't speak a certain way, then you're just not it. That's completely wrong. Everybody's different for a reason, and we all need to give our differences to the world to change the world. I tell a little girl in my class all the time, I said, be the change you want to be in the world. Because she says, I don't like this place, I don't like this, and I always joke with her, she's going to take my job, because now she wants to be a history teacher in middle school. The first thing I said was, you're crazy. The second thing I said, if you come after my job, I'm going to come after you because i got to finish this and get retired. <laughs> now, you go find somewhere else to work for a little while, and when it's time for me to retire, I'll let you know you can apply. And she's like, I don't want to work here. I was like, listen, be the change you want to see in the world. If you want to change it, be it. It's hard to do. It's easier said than done. Yeah, I'm 36 and they're 14. It's easy for me to stand there and look at them and say it because when I'm around the other people that are my age, it's, sometimes it's hard for me to live what I want to be when a lot of people around me are different. You have to live it too. Our kids see us live it. We've got to break the change. What about anxiety? We've got to break the change of anxiety. Some of us are so anxious all the time. Pastor, I heard one time said, when you're anxious and you feel anxiety, that's a signal that tells you it's time to pray. And that's pretty powerful because it works. What about drug, alcoholism? Some of you all have battled that. Some of your parents battled that, and you're breaking that chain. It's hard. I don't know exactly what you're battling. I've got battles that I have to break for my son, and you all need to do it for your kids. And it doesn't matter what age you're at, because it might still be going on. You might be in, in, in your later years. You might be 60, 70, 80 years old, and you're still fighting it. It's not too late for you to model that. I listened to a pastor say his dad told him when he was young, like eight years old, you are going to break the chain of alcoholism in our family. 
you're going to be the first person in our family to not be an alcoholic. He said, Dad, why would you tell me that so young? He said, because when I started young, you were fresh and you were open to it, and I wanted to feed that into your whole life. And he said in his broadcast, he never drank. That's what it's about. We have to change ourselves for our kids, and we have to give it to our kids. What about relationships that you're not supposed to be in? That's a tough one. But it happens, and it happens quick, and it happens easy. And maybe it happened for generation to generation to generation to generation. And you've got to break that chain. See, this song says, break every chain. Let's break them all. If we're going to do it, let's do this thing. Like, let's not just walk in, sleepwalk. Let's live it. Live it all day, every single day. Because I remember being told that I wasn't good enough by a coach. He looked at me and said, and we're playing baseball, so there's five tools of baseball. He said, you're not fast enough. Okay. You're not strong enough. I kind of knew that. You don't have a strong enough arm. Okay. You don't hit the ball well enough. Okay. Four out of five. And he said, and your glove's not very good. Oh, hey. We hit them all there. That's good. He said, but if you want to walk on here, you can. And I was like, no, thanks. No offense to you. Well, I mean, you know, like, no, thanks. I'm leaving. And I didn't go there. Now, that hurt to hear. And I believed some of the things that he said for quite a while. But then I realized that guy doesn't label who I am. He doesn't define me as a player. He's not going to be the one that says, you're not good enough, you should quit. And I'm going to walk out the door and never pick it up again. And I went to college, and I, pl- I paid for my college by getting to play. And his team won 10 games the next year out of 66. Now, look, I should probably not have said that, but like, I felt like, hey, you know, like, I'm not better than you, but maybe you didn't know everything that you were talking about that day. And maybe I wasn't good enough, but it inspired me to do it. You see, we've got to make sure that we feed words of encouragement to our kids to inspire them. We need to be honest with them. We need to be truthful with them. We can't beat around. We can't always encourage when they're doing the wrong thing, but we have to do it in a manner that's loving, that we, that we uplift and we build them up. But we also have to be careful because people around them are telling them they're not good enough. And when they're not, we need to know, and we can't know it all, but we need to know that when they come home, I'm going to build you up. This is a safe place. You can tell me anything. I'm always your biggest cheerleader. I'm your number one fan, but I will tell you when things are not going well, and I don't care to. And that's what we've got to do as parents. You see... Those haters, those critics, sometimes they're, they're silent. They're social media, Snapchat, Instagram. I didn't know this till a few years ago. I guess it's been a few years now that there's this thing called Finstagram. It's a fake Instagram that you make up, and you mix up your name in it, and then you go and, like, basically harass people on it. But people know who you are, which is, I was like, well, you're stupid, like, so you got one that's with your real name, and they said, yeah, but our parents don't know about the other one. I was like, oh, okay. But everybody else knows. So you can talk trash behind a keyboard, obviously, to other people under a reverse name that your parents don't know about. And, so you, and I thought, man, that's so scary. Like our kids are hearing that from other people. Like I don't have to be, like when I was growing up, was, if you had something to say and you said it to somebody's face, then hey, here we are. We'll throw it down and iron it out. Or I just won't get around you the rest of my life because I wasn't a fighter you obviously you can see that I'm not Jody Brown like I just just kind of I ran from people I was fast so I just got out of there right but now you don't even have to be around them you don't have to show your face you can just say it and when kids are sitting in a room alone and they read that constantly 
That's so hard to deal with. And that's the devil. Like he literally is coming hard at our kids. And he's coming hard in ways that we've never seen before. The Bible says, Jesus said in, in John 8, he's the father of lies, and he is. Have you ever been around somebody who lies constantly and consistently? They do it really well. And they can make you believe it. And he does that. And he does it to our kids, which is scary. People try to define us. Children are the soil of their parents' faith. Children grow in the soil of their parents' faith. What kind of life do you want your kids to have? John 5, 21. I had this highlighted in my Bible, and I was just looking through it, and I, I didn't intend to use it, but I found it, and I feel like it's applicable. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. And that's not just for kids. That's for us. Because we're child. I'm a child of God. And I've got to remember, I have to get rid of everything that could take God's place in my heart. Because when it comes out of my heart, it comes out of my mouth, and I live it, and then, and then it's visible. See, I can believe it in my head, but Hucky can't see what's in my head. He sees the way I act. He sees how I spend my time. He sees the word, and hears the words that I say. He sees the effort that I make to make his life a better life or a worse life. I don't ever want him to walk up to me to be nervous to tell me anything. I don't care what it is. I told you a couple weeks ago, I backed into my dad's truck when I was 16 years old, and I was scared to death. I didn't want to tell him because I was afraid I would get my car taken away. I'd get in trouble. So I sat there for a minute with the cars, like, hitting each other. I backed into his quarter panel, and I sat there for a second, and I was like, oh. So I thought, oh, wait, i got to move, so he didn't see it, so I moved up. And I sat there for another minute, and I was like, I'm supposed to be somewhere with my friends. If he finds out about this and I don't tell him, I'm going to get in big trouble. But if I don't tell him, he might not find out, and everything's good. And then I got that little reminder in my head that said, nope, it's not good. I'm already reminding you right now, you're not going to sleep tonight or tomorrow. And I'm like, all right. So I turned the car off, walked in. I was like, Dad, I hit your car. He's like, you okay? I'm fine, but your car's got a dent in it. I don't care. Be careful. What? Do you know how much of an impact that one moment has had on my whole life? He probably didn't remember it when I talked about it the last few weeks. He may not have thought about it. But that hit me so much harder than anything that he could have done. Those little moments that we don't think about as parents, where we extend grace and love to our kids, are so much more monumental than the trips to Disney World. Right? The big vacations we get to go on. That little moment molded me and shaped me so much. Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your heart. His heart was in the right place that day. And I'm, I'm thankful for it. 20 years later, it still hits me. So let me ask you a few questions. One, what's competing for your time? I can't answer that for you. I can answer that for me. But what's going after your time? Where is your time going? When you look at 24 hours every day, 168 hours in a week, where does our time go? Now, we've got, we've got to sleep, obviously. Hopefully, we take showers before we go to work. Okay, or, or after, depending on which line of work that you're in. But some, at some point, let's work that in. Okay, 
We're going to eat. And then from there, what, what do we do? Like, where does our time go? What does the world offer us today that makes it seem more urgent, more important, more significant, more necessary than being in God's presence? And God's presence isn't just on Sunday morning and Wednesday night. It's so much bigger than that. What is competing for our time to keep us out of the presence of God and into the presence of things that we don't need to be in? To raise up our kids in the kingdom and for the kingdom, so in the kingdom and for the kingdom, we must be in His kingdom. Let me say that again. To raise up kids in the kingdom of Christ and for the kingdom of Christ, we must be in the kingdom of Christ. If we're not there, our kids can't be. Be the change you want to see in your kids. Jared, there's a Bible back there, I hope. I don't know what I did with it. Do you see my Bible back there? Nope, not that one. No, I need a... Oh, that's it. Lisa's back this week. Thank you for Lisa being here today. You had one purpose today and you served it. Thank you. This Bible right here is mine. I'm not super proud of it. I don't know everything, and I don't study it the way I need to study it. But I got an idea from a friend of mine a few years ago. This is my Bible, but it's Hucky's Bible. He doesn't know this yet. When he graduates from high school, he gets this. I don't know what my future holds. I have no idea. I don't know how long I'll be on this earth. It might be a year. It might be a day. It might be 40 or 50 years. I don't know. But no matter when I go, he's got his dad's words. There's messages to him in this Bible from me directly. Some of it's notes, my thoughts. Some of it's post-its. Like this one that says, Children have big hearts. They have love and compassion, a joy for life, and an innocence. Children are strong, and you have taught me so many of these traits as a child. He'll see that. This is his. This is the legacy that he gets. He'll get other stuff from me. He'll have other memories from me. He'll know one of these days when he backs into my truck and I don't scream at him, that my dad didn't scream at me. Hopefully I don't scream at him, right? <laughs> He'll know that we spent a lot of time together on baseball fields and on road trips just doing stuff, just fun, having fun and talking. But he'll have this book right here that he can do with what he wants. This is his gift. The legacy that I want to live for him that I don't always live is in this book. What legacy now are we living for our kids? You see, one generation commends your works to another, and they tell of your mighty acts. I want him to know, with it beyond the shadow of a doubt, what Jesus has done for me and is doing for me every day. It's not something that I'm there. I haven't arrived. I'm still working on it every single day. Matthew 19, 14, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. 
for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. If we're going to grow our family, we have to grow ourselves. And we have to live it and be it. Not just on Sunday, not just on Wednesday, and not just drop them off. And there's nothing wrong with that, okay? I realize there's parents who just need a break. That's perfectly fine because I do too sometimes. Bring them to church. Drop them off if you're not serving. That's perfectly fine. But live it at home. Live it in the car. Live it and you walk down the street, right? We got to live Jesus. If we're going to be a generation and we're going to change the world, we have to be the change we want to see in the world by being the change we want to see in our kids. And it starts now. And if you haven't done it, that's okay. Because it does not matter what's back there. All that matters is what's ahead. And how can we change the world with what's ahead of us? What can we do to be different today? What legacy do we want to leave? What do you want your kids to have? Where do you want them to start and be able to push it to? Because I don't want him to start at less than what I got when I started. I want him to be much farther advanced than I was. And I pray that you do too. Because it's a change that we can literally give the world and it can happen. And it starts at home and it starts with you. If you're alone and you're the only person that's living this in your household, keep living it. Keep living it. I know it has to be hard. I know it has to be. But live it. Because you might not just change your kids, you might change your spouse or your parents. You might change your neighbors that your kids hang out with all the time. You don't know what change Jesus can make through you with you just living it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be Billy Graham. You just have to be you. Because God gave you the tools he wants you to have to live the life that you're supposed to live to change the world for him. You all have it. He gave it to you. When, he, when you were born, when you were formed in his womb, before anybody in this world knew you, he knew you. And he was ready to use you. Just step up and use it. And if you haven't done that to, through today, like I haven't some days, start now. And let's start together. That's what it's all about, community. Because it can change the whole world. You could preach a sermon on parenting on, oh my gosh, I mean, you could preach it every week for a year. But I think that, I mean, for me as a parent, I think the most relieving thing I hear in all of that is like the best thing that I can do is really not about what I do to my kids between me and my kids. It's about between me and Think about that just for a minute. The best thing you can do with parent has nothing to do with what you do as a parent and how you parent. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your mind. And in your mistakes and mess ups, they'll find their creator. Through grace and mercy, not because you were the best parent.